This is KCLR's Bottom Line. Good evening and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm Colin Ahern, standing in for John Purcell this week and I'll be with you until 7pm. As always, our text line, sponsored by dinnersready.ie, is 083 306 9696 and we'd love to hear from you. Coming up on the show this evening, I'll be chatting on the phone with Brian Corden, founder and director of Daycom Computer Services, about his company, AI in Business, and the upcoming tech summit with Carlo Kakenny Skillnet. I will also be speaking with Ronan Murphy of County Carlo Company Vision Green Consultancy about how companies can simplify sustainability. And I'll be joined in studio later by Jason Morrissey of Kilkenny Cycling Tours to talk about tourists, training and National Bike Week, which kicks off this Saturday. But up first, yesterday evening, I spoke with one of Ireland's leading and best known economists, Jim Power. In his most recent podcast, Jim described our Minister for Finance as drowning in cash. And I asked him to start by giving us an insight into and an analysis of the current economic backdrop. Well, the basis of what's going on at the moment is that because of the exceptional tax revenue buoyancy over the last couple of years, particularly on the corporation tax side, um, we're starting to run significant surpluses, uh, which is a very welcome situation from where we were a decade ago. Um, the reason really is that corporation tax receipts are growing very strongly, but income tax is also high. So the department estimates that over the next three years, we could run surpluses of about $65 billion. Okay, and wow. that, that is very significant by any stretch of the imagination. So the question is, uh, what do we do with those surpluses? Uh, the obvious temptation for politicians would be to go out there and spend that money to buy favour with the electors, so throw money at everything, basically. Uh, a second option would be to use that money to pay down our national debt, which currently stands at $226 billion. Or a, another option would be to put it in some sort of a sovereign wealth fund and... Um, the Department of Finance and Minister McGrath are being quite prudent about this. Uh, their favourite option would be to put the money in a long-term investment fund, something like the Norwegians have done over the last couple of decades with their oil revenues. and They've now built up about €1.3 trillion Euro in that fund. We're never going to get there, but um, you know, $65 billion is quite a significant amount of money in an Irish context. And the government and, would um, hope to get a would, would hope to get an annual return of, I don't know, five to ten percent or something on that then? Well you'd you'd, you'd hope to get five percent. Um, I think ten would be a bit exceptional, but I think a sort of three to five percent return if we got that with a relatively conservative investment strategy, that would represent good news. Um, but it, politically, you know, this is difficult because um, it's it's been called, okay, it is a long-term sovereign wealth fund, but we already have what's called a rainy day fund and or a national reserve fund. Six billion has been put into that over the last six months. And um, the, the, the argument is that that money is for rainy day purposes, okay? Yeah. And it's easy to argue at the moment that actually it is raining. Uh, the housing market is in deep crisis. Uh, the health service particularly is under significant pressure. So people would be inclined to argue, well, it is raining. 
So why not put the money into housing and health? And, um, and of course, that would be the political temptation. But the reality is that um, I believe anyway that, OK, housing to me is the biggest crisis facing the country. Uh, we need to build more houses. But the problem with just throwing money at that problem at the moment is that um, there are too many other constraints to delivery of housing. Before we start spending money on increasing investment in housing significantly, we need to make sure that the planning system is fit for purpose. It's not at the moment. There are huge um, problems with the delivery of housing in terms of planning. Uh, we have on board Canola most definitely has not been fit for purpose. Uh, many problems there. Uh, we have a huge problem with NIMBYism around the country and so many housing developments have gone for judicial review and, and almost every housing development that's proposed there is opposition uh, from somebody. So uh, there are all of these problems need to be sorted out before we can start thinking about pumping state money into the delivery of housing. So in the meanwhile, I think the sensible thing to do would be to put money in some sort of long-term investment fund, um, earn, as we've discussed, a reasonable rate of return on that over time. And then that money, you know, ultimately could be used for addressing the aging of the population, uh, the future infrastructure requirements, uh, and so on. So I, I think the fund is a sensible strategy. But politically, you know, that is difficult because with an election due before February 2025, uh, there's the obvious temptation to go out there and spend money. Yeah, and the, the other point, of course, is that whoever is in government next time may just turn around and spend all of this money anyway. So and we, we've done that in the past, and they would gain the political um, kudos from doing that. So it's 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 a complicated story, but I, I think the sensible thing is to put the money away until it can be invested wisely in stuff that will improve the long term potential of the country. And in relation to housing, to me, it's top of the list. But I would not be pumping money into housing at the moment because the system is just not fit for purpose to deliver more housing at an affordable price. We need to sort the system out first. And in terms of, um, you know, finding a balance between, say, something like um, a sovereign wealth fund or paying down the national debt, is there any benefit in putting some money into, into paying down the national debt as well? Well, uh, you know, OK, there's $226 billion outstanding in the national debt, a significant amount of money. But uh, a, a debt like that, and indeed it's the same for a household or for a business, um, how sustainable your debt is depends on uh, the level of income you're earning. So I would be kind of of the view that if we can continue to grow the economy strong, strongly, uh, that that the debt will fall as a percentage of our income and it will be sustainable in that way. Um, so I, I think there are better uses that could be put to this money at the moment than paying down debt. Um, but of course, the danger politically here would be that we just turn around and spend it all. We throw it into public services. We don't get anything in return because throwing money at a problem doesn't necessarily solve it and in fact can make it worse. So if you could be assured that the money will be used sensibly in the long term, I think it would represent a more sensible strategy than paying down debt. Okay. So moving on then, with regard to inflation, um, we're kind of used to interest rates increases now every time the ECB meet. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel, in your opinion? 
Well, rates have gone from zero to 3.75% since last July, um, with the most recent quarter percent increase delivered last week. The European Central Bank is still of the view that inflation is too high, that interest rates will have to be increased further. And my suspicion, and it is a suspicion because you can never be certain about this, but I would be factoring in the possibility that rates will rise by another half percent. And at that stage, I think it would be sensible for the European Central Bank to sit back, sit on the fence and see how those interest rate increases we've seen to date start to work through the system. And indeed, we're already seeing evidence in the United States where rates have gone from zero in March of last year to five and a quarter percent at the moment, yeah. uh, that that is starting to impact on inflation. And the headline rate in April is now down at 4.9%, uh, which is the lowest level since early 2021. So it takes time for interest rate increases to work through the system and impact inflation. So as I say, I think the European Central Bank is going to go a little bit further on the interest rate front. And then I believe it will and should sit on the fence just to see how things evolve. But I would expect in the next 12 months headline inflation to fall quite sharply. We are seeing it happen in Europe, but a little bit slower. I read today that uh, the the German factory orders data was quite poor and that that was possibly a, 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 a factor. Or it, was, it was pointing to things slowing down. Well, this has been the story over the last couple of months There's a lot of conflicting economic evidence. Uh, You know, you mentioned German factory orders. Consumer spending across Europe has weakened. But on the other hand, and this is what really concerns central bankers, labour markets remain very tight. Um, We have a 3.9% unemployment rate here. Uh, The average in the euro area is 6.5%, which is the lowest since the euro was created in 1999. And central bankers worry about that sort of level of employment and unemployment because it means that labour is scarce and wage pressures will be building and that in turn drives inflation. So from from the central bankers' perspective, I don't think as as at this moment they see enough evidence of economic weakness to persuade them that they've done enough on the interest rate front. So as I say, I think on balance they're still biased towards um, a further moderate increase in rates, then I would expect him to sit back maybe for a year just to see how things materialise. And I I would think that there's a chance that the next move after that would be in a downward rather than an upward direction. Uh, But that's that's down the tracks. The immediate problem is, as far as the ECB is concerned, excluding energy, inflationary pressures are still too strong and they believe that interest rates will have to be increased further to bring them under control. Okay, and f- finally, then, just to talk about um, pricing and, and the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission has warned the government that introducing price controls is not necessary. Now, not pointing the finger at any industry in particular, but is greedflation a thing? And if so, is it deliberate or is it unintentional? Uh, there, here again, there is a mixed picture. Um, you know, the government is meeting with the retailers at the moment about getting grocery prices down. But the reality is, if you look at the food supply chain and, and the price we as consumers pay in the shop is determined by a number of factors. But one of the more important ones is the cost of production for farmers. And in the last 12 months, uh, the cost of 
inputs to agriculture have increased significantly. Electricity prices are up 67%. Fertiliser wow. prices are up 25%. And that has been the story for the last 18 months. So if farm input costs are rising, uh, the farmer will get higher output costs. And in turn, you know, that will ultimately end up as higher prices for the consumer. So I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence at the moment that uh, greedflation is a thing, particularly in the retail food sector. Um, energy, I'd have a different attitude towards because um, we've seen um, a collapse in natural gas and oil prices over the last 12 months, well, over the last six months particularly. Um, and just to put this in context, in September of last year, um, the, 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 the price of European natural gas was trading at about 349 euro. The equivalent today is 36 euro. It has fallen dramatically, but that has not yet been reflected in lower gas prices for consumers or for businesses. And the energy industry would argue that they have bought forward a lot of this energy and that it'll be another six months before they'll be able to pass on lower prices to the consumer. But my counter-argument to that would be that when oil and gas prices start to rise, those energy companies pass on higher higher prices immediately. And the second piece is that... um, the profits of those companies is increasing dramatically at the moment. Shell and BP, for example, in the last couple of weeks have reported record earnings. So there's something going on there, but I definitely think in the energy supply chain, there is an element of greedflation. And um, unfortunately, what it does represent is basically a transfer of money from consumers and businesses to the energy companies. Um, And I don't think that's good enough. I I think that there there is call there for government to step in and try and do something about it. That was Jim Power talking to me yesterday evening. We're going to take a quick break now, but stay with us and we'll be right back. The Bottom Line on KCLR. KCLR. Welcome back to the bottom line. I'm Colin Ahern. Now, joining me on the phone is Brian Corden, founder and director of Daycom Computer Services in Carlo. Brian, thanks for speaking to us on the bottom line this evening. Brilliant, Colin. Thank you for having me on the show. You're very welcome. So, Brian, you might start by just telling our listeners about your, your own background, how Daycom was established, and what services you offer. Um, so, Daycom Computer Services, it's an IT support company, and we've been in business for over 28 years now. We're based in Carlo. Um, obviously, a lot's sort of happened in those 28 years, um, but mostly we provide what we call IT managed support services to SME businesses throughout Ireland. And a lot of our support systems are automated. So, what that means is we use software to constantly monitor the health of our customers' IT systems. And another part of what we provide is cybersecurity to sort of keep our clients' computer systems safe from cyber criminals. And we also sell computer hardware. Wow. And how many people do you employ at the moment? So there's 11 in our business at the moment. And presumably, presumably the nature of the business is that you have customers throughout Ireland. Yeah, I mean, predominantly in the southeast, but but dotted further afield, we have customers up in Donegal and um, Drada and places like that. Um, because obviously, you can do a lot of what we do remotely now. You don't necessarily need people on site as much as you had to have them in the past. So, so that's that's been a big change. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, 
it's it strikes me in 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 your business and i'm myself i'm involved in, in in the hospitality business but it strikes me that you know to be successful in 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 your sector good customer service and building trust must be incredibly important yeah no it's a massive part and i think what's become challenging is everything's moved much faster i mean if you if you think back you know there was a time when people would send posts to each other and they'd expect to reply over a few days and then it became faxes. Now with email, people expect an instant response to everything. So it's just moved at a much, much faster pace. Um, and it's, you know, so getting back and kind of resolving issues for people quickly has become paramount to companies like ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot, a lot of SMEs, um, will have multiple IT systems and they'll have, you know, property management system and they might have a point of sale. Even Wi-Fi is incredibly important in to, to, to a number of businesses. And all these need to integrate and having responsive IT support is essential. So, for many SMEs, the idea of changing their their support provider would be a little bit daunting. How do how do you make it less daunting for business owners and managers? Um, that's a good question. Um, it, I mean, it can be complicated to move your IT system from one say support company to another, and obviously, it's probably more dependent on the type of applications that you have rather than the hardware. I think as well as that, you, you build up a relationship with your existing IT support company over time and you would hope their support engineers become familiar with your systems. You know, they know where things are um, faster, I suppose. But that being said, um, a lot of the technology that's being used across the board is fairly standard and a well-trained technical team, you know, like our support team, should be able to get to grips with the setup of most companies, you know. Yeah, look, I I have no doubt it's really, and I suppose it's on the it's on the customer side. We get we would get very comfortable with someone that comes in and knows our business, and and very comfortable. And moving from someone who we might believe it might take a while to uh, to, to to get up to speed, but the people that are involved, like yourselves, will pick it up very quickly. We should be able to pick it up fairly quickly. And and yeah. the, but the thing I would often say, Colin, you know, if you have a good relationship and you're getting on well with your IT support company, there, there probably isn't, it wouldn't make sense to change. It's only really if that relationship breaks down or the support levels are dropping and then, then maybe it's time to have a think about looking around, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Brian, um, Carlo Kilkenny Skillnet have an upcoming tech summit on the 31st of May in the Talbot Hotel in Carlo. And I know that you're one of the speakers. So can you tell us a bit about it? Who else will be presenting and what sort of topics you'll be covering? Sure. Um, so the event is designed to showcase the latest developments um, across a broad range of technology. And it's aimed predominantly at small to medium-sized businesses. As you mentioned, it's been organised by Carlo Kilkenny Skillnets. Um, there's Strive, who are based here in Carlo as well, and they're covering cybersecurity. There's ourselves, um, and we've a brilliant lineup of speakers on the day. So there's Paul Delahunty, and he's the Chief Executive Officer at Strive, and Paul will be talking about cybersecurity and the top 10 essential things every business needs to do. Then we have Professor Neil McKeown, and he is the C. EO of Ion Allergy, sorry, it took a bit to get that out. Um, and Niall is covering digital transformations and innovation within the SME sector. Then there's myself, and I'm going to be talking about AI in everyday business life. 
we have Steve Coyle from Vodafone, and Stephen is going to be discussing how mobile technology can be better utilised in business. We actually have a business case study on the day from our recruitment company called eFrontiers and their experience on cybersecurity. And finally, our MC for the event is Trezan O'Reilly, who is the founder and managing director of The Forest. That seems that that seems really interesting, and 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 the idea mm. that you have um, a case study there, a live case study that people can interact with, presumably and understand, is is going to be incredibly beneficial for everyone. Absolutely, um, and just to mention, which I didn't, it's completely free of charge to attend. And can I give you an email address that people can use if they want to sign up? Absolutely, do. So it's simply admin at Carlo Brian, that's really helpful. Um, that is the Tech Summit 2023. As Brian says, check out Um We were just speaking with Brian Corden, the founder and director of Daycom Computer Services. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Colin. We have another quick break now, but there's a lot more to come, so don't go away. You're very welcome back to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm Colin O'Hearn. So I'm joined in the studio now by Ronan Murphy from Vision Green Consultancy. Good evening, Ronan. Evening, Colin. So Vision Green Consultancy, tell us about your business, when you started it and what services you offer. Will do. Um, Thanks a million for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Colin. Uh, Vision Green Consultancy, we're a a, a purpose-driven sustainability consultancy business. we, we exist on, a, on an ethos and a vision to make sustainability simpler for our clients. Um, and one of our key uh, kind of metrics is, is impact. The business was started and co-founded by myself um, and we, my business partner, John Packenham, um, back in late 2018, early 2019. So we're trading just over four years. Um, and John and I uh, have young kids. You know, we, we've always wanted to work together on taking our skill sets outside a, a sector where we worked for a long time in retail, logistics, supply chain. Uh, and apply our skill sets to a wider cohort of businesses to try and drive sustainable change. Um, we want to try and leave the world in a better place than we can find it. Uh, we find it now, and every little kind of uh, impact we can have is, is 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 why we started the business. It started with myself and John. Um, we now have, by the end of June, we will have a team of eight um, within the business and looking to expand that further. We operate across a, a few pillars of products and services, Um helping companies with alternative fuel uh, strategy and transition away from diesel. Uh, we have a green business pillar, um, which focuses on helping companies to understand their carbon footprint, energy management process and procedures, audits, um, and sustainability strategy and reporting, um, which is going to become really, really, um, I suppose, comprehensive in, in the years to come. We also have a tech pillar to the business, which um, is looking at digitalizing a lot of the products and services we have in terms of the green business pillar. Um, which kind of feeds into our ethos of making things a bit simpler for our clients. Um, the tech side of things will involve uh, a platform we've developed and we're hoping to launch this year, um, which will allow companies access to a platform um, which will contain various tools, content um, and data. and data and everything to, to map internally themselves. So helping companies to build internal knowledge um, um, and I suppose resilience for, for the challenge that lies ahead for them. Probably going back to um, the point of where companies can really start at a, at, a, at a basic level. That's really interesting. And like, what what range of companies are you working with? Are they are they mostly SMEs? Is there a particular sector that you've got m- m- more customers in? Yeah, we've we've worked with with companies of 
all sizes. We've been lucky enough to do that. Um, we do focus particularly on you know small to medium businesses, and um, but we also work and have worked with large global um, companies. Um, we are approved uh, enterprise Ireland suppliers, so we can help companies of all sizes access the various grant supports that are out there. Um, but we work with everything from a large global logistics players, retailers, um, software companies, uh, accountancy firms, to uh, the local butcher, um, cafes mm-hmm. and then hotels and everything in between. And I see you're working with companies through the local enterprise office in Carlow as well. Yeah, yeah, we, we actually work with... Um, a lot of uh, local enterprise offices around the country, including Carlo. So we, we help the guys deliver their um, Green for Micro program, which it, it gives companies who probably wouldn't know where to start um, free access to um, consultative support with ourselves and, and others who are on mentor panels around the country. Um, and that kind of alleviates the, the biggest challenge companies have at the moment in terms of access and the support, which is finance. So... If it's available free, um, you know, companies will generally look to take it up, um, although there's a small cost of maybe expending a bit of time to uh, to, to work with a consultant on, on that basis. And it was interesting what you said there, because I liked uh, on your website, you say that uh, what, what you want to do is simplify sustainability, simple, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. So like, is... What's the first step then that a business needs to take? Is it is it measuring their footprint? Is that the starting point? It's a really good place to start. And, and in terms of when we look at simplifying, it's it's probably taking away the, the I suppose the noise and the cloud around what companies are expected to to produce. So a good place to start definitely is to measure, and that can be on a number of fronts. And that is your carbon footprint, energy consumption, um, your costs associated with it, and then look to identify you know areas that you can you can look to reduce that. Um, and sometimes having somebody from the outside come in and you know list out those areas and, and show you the impact that your company actually has on the world can be can be thought provoking. Um, and sometimes small companies, you know, they literally battle to keep the lights on uh, week in week out, and and that type of information might not be really relevant. Um, but when you develop come in and develop the plan and and, and um, illustrate the impact that they have, uh, it can resonate a lot more and help them uh, clear the fog, I suppose, to to look at how to implement. Sometimes it's difficult to see the see the wood from the trees. Exactly. Um, look, and there, then I'm conscious there are also businesses that are maybe would be further further along the whole process, and they may be finding it hard to reduce their footprint a little further. Uh, what what do those businesses need to focus on? The, the, I suppose the medium, the small to medium and larger size companies will probably have access to a lot more resource than than the smaller companies. Uh, but again, there is grant support out there available to all companies of all sizes, be it through, as you, you mentioned, the local enterprise office, uh, Enterprise Ireland, in terms of the various kind of streams they have, Green Star projects, Green Plus projects, and they can consist of up to 50% funding for a large-scale change project in implementing an energy management system, for instance. Um and simply focusing on metrics and KPIs, probably at that level of business, you know, measuring it and then looking at a, a holistic plan based on reduction targets um, is, is is probably a really good place to start. And a lot of the time, these guys would have a resource. They could have a, sustain, a sustainability manager in-house, which can be beneficial. Um, but also having somebody come in from the outside with a fresh pair of eyes to, um, to help with governance and so on is, is really important. And I think the... The impending, I suppose, with its it's the uh, corporate and social uh, sustainability reporting directive, the new EU directive coming into force, which is com- it is in force and in consultation or at the moment is going to require companies to produce um, annual sustainability reports based on you know how their business or their company impacts the world, the environment, their people, um, and that's to satisfy the need for shareholders' investment and, and investors. But 
equally that will follow down the value chain to, to smaller companies who work with these companies as suppliers or customers and they'll all have to explain how they impact you know so measuring and managing is going to be really key going forward yeah, we were speaking to someone else on this programme a few weeks back and they said that sustainability is uh, a, a lot more than just being green um, and we have to think about all that, yeah. Exactly, exactly. No, it, it's, 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 in terms of the um, the actual reporting side of things, it is going to be a regulatory, it's going to be mandatory, you know, um, and by the end of the decade, all companies will be, have to do it in some way, shape or form, including mandatory producing carbon reports. Um, and the government will talk about potentially, you know, putting targets and potentially costs against this as well to, hmm. to probably bring co- uh, companies in line so it's important to start looking at it now um, even if it's it's um, at a very early stage in our business. Can I ask you uh, quickly then about grants I mean you, you mentioned it there I mean are are the grants available now are they sufficient uh, or, do, or, or do the government need to do more in your opinion? They are available um, and they, they do work and they when when accessed by companies, um, they can be really beneficial. Um, they can be laborious at times to access um, and we've heard that as well in, in terms of the application processes that companies go through but obviously having expertise and consultative support to help companies navigate that does help. Um, but once you get past that, they are they can be very beneficial and very fruitful. I suppose when you look at some of the other initiatives that the, the government have, have launched like the temporary um, business energy support scheme that's a good example of how it doesn't work you know mm-hmm. um, it was a really really poor uptake it was a really beneficial scheme if it had been easy to access and it would have helped companies to you know stay afloat even at times yeah. especially over the last 15 months um, so they have they have looked at that they have taken the learnings and they have um, revised it and they will relaunch a newer version which hopefully is going to be uh, more easily accessible Um I think at a, at a policy level um, the government could and will probably start to look at incentivising more indigenous um, fuels within Ireland, sustainable fuels, as opposed mm-hmm. to importing of fossil fuels. Okay. And if we can do that, we can help develop, um, you know, industry in Ireland, increase employment, and uh, reduce reliance on um, external. I suppose. Yeah, that's really interesting. Look, finally, then, um, look, I and you mentioned it earlier. Sustainability is quickly moving from like a point of corporate uh, p- corporate responsibility to being regulated. If a company hasn't started the process yet, it's fair to say they need to start soon. Exactly, yeah. And, and look, it is. A lot of people, as, we, as I said earlier, would think about it as sustainability as climate and environment. It's much more than that. You know, consumers are shopping with their conscience and employees are looking for companies to be more transparent and open. And if you want to attract and maintain talent, you know, you need to have an ethos in your business where sustainability is at the heart and at the core of it, including your environmental impact, how you treat your people, your finances, and ultimately, you know, um, the, the environmental impact that your business has. So it's going to become really, really important. Thank you, Ronan. It's really, really, um, really, really interesting. How do how does someone get in touch with your Ronan, with yourself and John and your team? Yeah, they can reach out to us um, at info at visiongreenconsultancy.ie. Our website is www.visiongreenconsultancy.ie. That's great. Thank you, Ronan. And continued success to Vision Green Consultancy. Thanks, William Colin. Pleasure. The Bottom Line on KCLR. Now... Following on the subject of sustainability and with National Bike Week fast approaching, I'm delighted to also be joined in studio this evening by Jason Morrissey of Kenny Cycling Tours. Jason, you're very welcome. Hi Colin, thanks for having us. Jason, tell us, when did you start Kenny Cycling Tours and did you have a background in tourism or indeed professional cycling when you started? Not at all. I, I started Kenny Cycling Tours in 2010 and it came to me as an idea all of a sudden. I didn't even have a bike and within one uh, one go and one day I opened uh, I started two bike businesses in one day so 
the Southie Cycling Safety and Kilkenny Cycling Tours. So both of them are still working today, today's day, and, and uh, still going good. Yeah, didn't so went off. First thing I did went off and bought a couple of bikes and good, a good starting point. A good start, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, no, just showing people around my hometown. It's uh, doesn't seem like work. It's very easy going and yeah, no, just, absolutely. Uh, and tell us, what, so 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 break, t- take us through the services you're offering to tourists first of all. For for tourists, um, often they find me through through. Uh, uh, TripAdvisor or Google Reviews and uh, my, or my own website and uh, they'll look to do um, a two hour guided cycling tour around the city for instance we had a two hour tour there this morning uh, or they might be part of a larger group with a, with a tour company like uh, Contiki or Trafalgar or some of these big groups and they'll, they'll come and book in and um, just give them a whirlwind tour of the city, stopping outside each building of interest for a couple of minutes and talking and taking a few photographs and explaining about who built it and when it was built and why it was built and that sort of thing. And how many people could you have, you know, on each tour? Today we had forty. Really? So we split the we split the forty into three wow. groups. So uh, we had thirteen, thirteen and fourteen. So and we have a guy back at the base. We have three guides, yeah. and we all go in separate directions. We all meet the, at the castle, walk them down to Sullivan's, and uh, give them their bikes. We're up and gone in a few minutes, and they will have spent a night in Dublin last night and gone in around Temple Bar. Half of them are, have uh, been inside in Temple Bar for a few beers, and they come down, and the fresh air is yeah. uh, badly needed. Yeah. And uh, so they. Um, I was going to ask you about because you mentioned it there. So like, are are are. Are your customers finding you through the tour operators, uh, or what percentage are, or how many are, f- are finding you directly through your own website, or what about local accommodation providers? Are you getting referrals That's it. from them? Word of mouth, Airbnb, um, l- local uh, youth groups like Faroga, Spanish groups. So just been around for so long, and a lot of the time we get repeat custom. So people like uh, under thirties experience and does just come to us every year and fill up easy fill up our diary. So. The exact percentages of, of where each come from, I don't pay too much heed. I probably should, but a bit easy going in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's no doubt it's a cracking way to see Kilkenny. Are, are, are most of your customers international visitors or are yes. Irish people? Um, no, there would be. In the, in the cycling tours, it's international. We got hit really bad with uh, COVID. No international visitors, no travel, no international travel. So... Um, yeah, that uh, that was a tough one to take there. We had ended up starting to sell some of our bikes just to get by just during the tough really? times, you know, and we're a bike operator with turning out to be for no bikes. It was it was dire, but I, I um, changed it up a bit. I, I bought um, some hydro bikes, bikes that cycle on water. So I bought a dozen of those and they're very, they're more popular with domestic travellers. So, and if there's no travel and it's an open space, so that's turned out to be a good, a good diverse way to uh, adapt the business for um, just in case something like that, if there's an ash cloud or something again, so. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. And I see you do e-bikes as well, which, e-bikes, so you've yeah. got the, the regular bikes, the e-bikes and the yeah. hydro bikes going. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we teach uh, cycling safety to kids in schools as well. So uh, it's all good. We'll, we'll come on to that, but, but, but you're listening to The Bottom Line on KCLR with me, Colin Ahern. We've got a quick break to take, but stay with us and we'll be right back with Jason. The Bottom Line on KCLR. 
You're very welcome back to the bottom line, um, where, where we're still joined in studio by Jason Marcy from Kilkenny Cycling Tours. Jason, um, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that your business is not just tourism related. Tell us about the training side of things. So um, we deliver a, a cycle training, a cycling road safety training program to fourth, fifth, and sixth class students all over the southeast, all the way up as from Kildare down as far as uh, Kilkenny, Carlow, Wexford. Leash all around, so we're on the go every day, and it's uh, it's a six week program developed by Cycling Ireland and the Department of Transport, and it's uh, it's yeah you're getting kids who are uh, at all levels from being very rusty on a bike or not being able to cycle or being overconfident. We see it all, and by the end of the six week, we kind of pull them in line as best we can, and um, you see you can physically see them getting steadier and more confident and more. Uh, um, just just not being as erratic or being shaky or mm. unsteady so we have all techniques and tips to make them steady and so uh, that's the it's whole really idea interesting. and it happens in the schools in the in the classrooms on the schoolyard and on week five and week six we go out onto the road and uh, in small groups with uh, two tutors a teacher and ten students so it's you'll see us coming a mile away with the high-vis vests but it, it's very uh, we don't go into high volume uh, traffic areas we use um, housing estates and, and quiet streets to, to do it but wow. it gives them the the, the on-road um, element and you also um, do workshops with people with autism yeah so it's it's uh, one of the better parts of the job we go to different counties and we deliver uh, autism learn how to cycle uh, lessons over three and four weeks and it's, um, in a group of about uh, ten students over the four weeks we can get about seven eight nine sometimes it depends on on their their um, their own ability that you can almost get most of them cycling we have particular techniques we've developed and it's uh, very very rewarding I was going to ask you that. I mean, there must be, yeah, there, there must be very specific techniques. Yeah, so that's the only part of my job that doesn't get boring. When you're delivering the same programs or talking about the same castle, but just with the teaching people how to cycle, it's so, because just to see the, the, uh, the smile on their face when there would have been tears at the start or nervous about starting and then going into over the few weeks, getting them going. So, and, and the parents as well, they're, they're there with them. And, uh, it's a huge milestone for every child. So, uh, it's, it's a great success story, Jason. I mean, to start start two businesses, go through the pandemic and all those sort of things come out the other side is fantastic. Yeah. So um, one of the other things I want to talk to you about was National Bike Week um, is, is upon us. It takes place from Saturday the 13th of May to Sunday the 21st of May. Can you tell us what's going on in Kilkenny? A so little bit. there's all sorts of... Uh Everything, anything associated with bikes. Um, there's the, the best uh, thing I can send you to is the um, uh, Cycle Kilkenny website, and you'll find a full list of the breakdown of what's going on over the two days. There's a fantastic day on Sunday in in county on the grounds of County Hall, just off the back of John Street. And Sunday the fourteenth of May. Yeah, sorry, and and it's all day. You can do e-bike. Uh, at you know, if you haven't cycled an e-bike before, I'll, I'll take you on a spin uh, out out of country road, and we get to do a little tour. There's learn to cycle groups. There's there's uh, entertainment. Um, there's mountain biking, obstacle courses, everything, something for everyone. It's a real family event. And uh, Katrina Core and all the team at uh, Kilkenny Walking and Cycling Campaign have have uh, gone to great efforts to get make it a huge success over the last few years. So. That's great, yeah. We're re- re- really looking forward to it. So, um, Jason, the very continued success, the very best of luck, and thank, thank you. you for speaking to me this evening. Thank you, Colin. 
Before we go, I just want to say uh, congratulations very briefly to the Hoban Hotel in Kenny that's won Best Employer at Ireland's Ancient East Awards at the inaugural Forge Ireland Employer Excellence Awards. So, uh, that's all we've got time for on the bottom line this week. Remember, you can email the show all week on the bottom line at kclr96fm.com. And if you have a positive business story, we'd love to share it with our listeners. As always, you can listen back to the show or any other episode of The Bottom Line. Just search for The Bottom Line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. A huge thanks to all my guests this week, Jim Power, Brian Corden, Ronan Murphy and Jason Marcy. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy for producing, Shannon Redmond and Martin Bridgman Sound. John Purcell will be back in his usual spot next week. Until then, have a great week and thank you for listening. The Bottom Line on KCLR.